For what the cynic Monimus said is obvious, and obvious too is the use of what he said. If a man accepts what may be got out of it only as far as it is true. The soul of man does violence to itself, first of all, when it becomes an abscess and, as it were, a tumor on the universe as far as it can. For to be vexed at anything that happens is a separation of ourselves from nature, in some part of which the natures of all other things are contained. Secondly, the soul does violence to itself when it turns away from any man or moves against him with the intention of harming him, as do the souls of the angry. In the third place, the soul does violence to itself when it succumbs to pleasure or pain. Fourthly, when it plays a part and acts or speaks insincerely or untruly. Fifthly, when it performs any act or any movement aimlessly, and does anything thoughtlessly and without considering what it is, whereas even the smallest things ought to be designed for an end. And the end of rational beings is to follow the reason and the law of the most ancient city and commonwealth. The time of human life is but a point, and the substance is a flux, and its perceptions dull, and the composition of the body corruptible, and the soul of whirl, and fortune inscrutable, and fame a senseless thing. In a word, everything which belongs to the body is a flowing stream, and what belongs to the soul a dream and a vapor, and life is a warfare, and a stranger's sojourn, and future fame is oblivion. What then is there which can guide a man? One thing and only one, philosophy. Now this consists in keeping the divinity within us free from violence and unharmed, superior to pain and pleasure, doing nothing without a purpose, nor yet falsely and with hypocrisy, not feeling the need of another man's doing or not doing something. And furthermore, accepting all that happens and all that is allotted us as coming from the source, wherever it is, whence it itself came, and finally, waiting for death with a cheerful mind, since it is nothing but a dissolving of the elements of which each living being is composed. If the elements themselves are not harmed by each continually changing into another, why should a man feel any dread of the change and dissolution of all his elements? For it is as nature wills it, and nothing is evil which nature wills. At Coruntum 3. We ought to remember not only that our life is daily wasting away, and a smaller part of it is left, but also that if a man should live longer, it is quite uncertain whether his mind will stay strong enough to understand things and retain the power of contemplation to strive after knowledge of the divine and the human. For if he begins to sink into dotage, he still may perspire and take food and keep his imagination and appetite and other powers of the kind, but the power of making himself useful 
and filling up the measure of his duty, and clearly distinguishing appearances, knowing whether he should retire from life, and whatever else of the kind requires a disciplined reason, all this is already dead in him. We must make haste, then, not only because we are daily nearer to death, but also because our perception of things and understanding of them cease first. We ought to observe also that even the small characteristics of things produced according to nature have something in them pleasing and attractive. For instance, when a loaf of bread is baked, there are cracks in the surface, and these breaks, which are contrary to the purpose of the baker, are beautiful in their way, and stimulate the appetite. Again, figs, when they are quite ripe, gape open, and ripe olives, when they are near to rotting, are particularly good to look at, and ears of corn bending down, and a lion's eyebrows, and the foam which flows from the mouth of a wild boar, and many other things, though they are far from beautiful, if one examines them separately, still, because they are characteristics of things formed by nature, help to adorn them and please the eye. Thus, if a man has a feeling for and deep insight into the things produced in the universe, there is hardly one of their characteristics that will not seem to him of a sort to give him pleasure. So he will look on the gaping jaws of living wild beasts with as much pleasure as on those which painters and sculptors depict in imitation. And in an old woman and an old man he will perceive a certain ripeness and comeliness, and will look on the attractive loveliness of young persons with chaste eyes. Many such beauties will show themselves not pleasing to every man, but to him who has become truly at home with nature and her works. Hippocrates, who cured many diseases, himself fell sick and died. The Chaldeans foretold the deaths of people, and then fate caught them too. Alexander, Pompey, and Julius Caesar, who had destroyed so many whole cities, and in battle cut to pieces so many thousands of horsemen and foot soldiers, themselves too at last departed this life. Heraclitus, who speculated so much on the conflagration of the universe, was swollen with dropsy and died in a plaster